Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by www.livinglies.wordpress.com, GTC Honored, and The Garfield Firm, serving all 50 states with news and analysis of the latest bank scams against borrowers, homeowners, consumers, and investors, and providing legal representation throughout Florida. This program is for general information only. It is not a solicitation for services or legal representation and should never be used as a substitute for advice from a licensed professional. And now, here's world-renowned financial expert, attorney, and blogger, Neil Garfield. This is Thursday, October 18th, 2018. Confronting false legal presumptions. So this show is going to be about trial practice, trial law. This show is my answer to all those people who keep asking me the same question, how do I prove it? My answer has always been the same, you don't need to prove it. I didn't win my cases by proving the other side were all crooks. When you boil it all down, the issue in foreclosure cases, a trial practice point of view, the issue is whether the lawyers for the named foreclosing party can use legal presumptions. Because without those, they have no case. They have no client. They have no right to be in court. In other words, the baseline of foreclosure is the presumption of facts we all know are not and the judicial system has never before encountered. Nobody ever thought that there could be a situation where there was a loan and he couldn't find a creditor. We've got it now. And we've we've been dealing at a part of 15 or 20 years. Without the legal presumptions for the foreclosing parties, there is no case. Forced to prove their case without presumptions or forced to answer the homeowner's questions about whether the debt was purchased by anyone, the response is almost always a settlement under seal of confidentiality. Get rid of the presumptions, we'll get the order for discovery, and in all probability you'll end up with what I call a win, which is the homeowner retaining their home under reasonable economic uh, uh, terms that, uh, that work. 
And in some cases, it results in even more than that, depending upon how far down the road the pretender lenders have gone. You could get damages, punitive damages, etc. Once they lose. The most common error, particularly among inexperienced people or lawyers in litigation, is assuming that the rebuttal of presumptions is just like a case that needs to be proven as true, more likely than not. That's wrong. You don't need to prove a case. It's the other side that needs to prove a case. It's the other side that's looking for the remedy. It's the other side foreclosed. The other side that is bringing forward documents and testimony and trying to uh, invoke the presumptions that would seem to apply. You do need some proof based upon actual evidence, but you don't need to prove that the other side is crooked. Nor do you have to prove your point beyond a reasonable doubt or by clear and convincing evidence or more likely than not. It's more along the lines of probable cause. You only need to show, you need enough to show that the case should be tried on the facts and not by use of legal presumptions. Let me repeat that because that's my whole point here. You only need to show that the case must be tried on the facts and not by use of legal presumptions. If you can get to that point, my experience is you have effectively won the case if you're facing anybody whose, claim, whose claims originate from uh, some type of securitization scheme. And in most cases where homeowners have received analysis and reports by competent people, they already have the necessary evidence. Documents submitted, created, recorded by the other side. All homeowners need to do is to use it right. Presumptions are intended to be just a recognized, convenient gimmick, if you will, to avoid proving what everyone knows is true most of the time. So in the absence of an objection from the homeowner, presumptions are assumed to be true. In other words, facts that are presented by the other side by way of presumption that they must be true instead of proving them true, they are assumed to be true. So the facts that are presumed become the facts of the case. Each case is different and what is necessary in each case is a lawyer who knows how to be quick on his feet and to raise the appropriate objection and have a real battle plan in mind. Presumptions are not intended to have a act one side an unfair advantage over the other, but that's what's happened. It's happened because 
homeowners have not pushed back, citing the correct law, the correct argument, and in a good presentation. Legal presumptions are supposed to be there solely to prevent squandering judicial resources on a fact that is already known to be true. If it is uh, a contested fact and the basis of the contest reveals that there is a basis on which an alternative narrative might be true, then the other side is not entitled to the presumptions. So in certain circumstances, certain facts are legally presumed to exist unless they're challenged with at least some credible evidence that shows the presumed facts may not be true, may not be true. So listen to the wording there. We're not talking about proving a case. We're not even talking about the other side proving the case. What we're talking about is something that says, I own this because I bought it, and I've given authority to X, Y, and Z to do this, that, and the other thing, and uh, uh, the parties uh, have witnesses, and they testify about the payments, etc. Tonight, we talk about how to deal with those legal presumptions and how much proof you need to undermine the presumptions and thus force the foreclosing party, if it exists at all, really you're forcing the foreclosing attorneys. Most cases, from what I've seen, they don't actually have the client uh, that they say they have. If it's in a case, uh, a judicial state, uh, they come in and, uh, and, and sign the pleadings for a plaintiff trust that uh, they have no connection with, they have not been retained by, and, uh, and they don't even talk to during the, uh, the litigation. So how much proof do you need those presumptions? And then that forces the foreclosing party to prove its case with real evidence, testimony and documents that are valid and authenticated and on personal knowledge, etc. Real stuff, just like you would in a normal case. I think the courts are turning a little bit on this, and that's why I'm bringing it up again at length. I've been talking about this for 12 years. The burden of proof back onto the so-called foreclosure mill or the foreclosing party is much lower than proving a case. The party seeking to use the document or signature is a proponent of that document or signature. They have to prove that the document is real and valid, authentic, and the signature is authorized and authentic. What I'm saying 
is that it's the foreclosing party or the foreclosing attorneys who have the burden of proof, and that is always true. If presumptions are swept away by raising credible questions about validity or authenticity, credible questions means something real where the court could determine that the facts are not as would otherwise be presumed. If those credible questions about validity arise, then the foreclosure mill must actually prove the facts instead of presuming them. This is a sea change, which many of the lawyers out there, including myself, who have won cases, have experienced regularly um, uh, when, when we have won. It's basically been because of this. If foreclosures were real, there would be no problem. But we all know that the foreclosing entities cannot prove their cases using actual facts and can only win by using legal presumptions. So the focus of the fight should be on the use of legal presumptions. And that can happen at the at the beginning of the case and at tri all the way through trial. The timing of that and the manner in which it's doing is a matter is a stylistic matter and based upon a number of factors that change from case to case. The burden that temporarily shifts to the homeowner when facially valid documents, i.e. documents that look like they're valid, are presented is only to create a credible fact, a fact-based narrative that raises issues with the facts such that the judge might, upon hearing all the evidence, conclude that the foreclosing party had failed to make its case, lacked standing or anything else. That narrative casts credible doubt as to whether the presumed facts are actually true. So if you've got an assignment or an endorsement, did this really happen? Was this part of a transaction? It's assumed that the answer is yes. It's presumed that the answer is yes if you don't object. And if you do object, then you need to come forward either in cross-examination or a million other ways, to show that there are inconsistencies in their own documents and inconsistent facts that are available. Um, uh, and that's not so... then the presumption is gone. And there's no prejudice to the foreclosing party, in theory, because they still can prove everything that they wanted to have presumed. And 
brush up on the laws of evidence as well. But a good presentation is likely to be of enormous benefit to the homeowner and a real threat to the people and companies who are pulling the strings of foreclosure. This goes to the heart of their strategy. So tonight, we're talking about how to navigate the waters of legal presumptions and trial practice. In most cases, the presumptions, you will lose the case and it will be affirmed on appeal. And let me remind you, because this question's been coming up also, that an appeal is not an opportunity to put new evidence uh, in the record or to retry the case. The question on appeal is basically whether there was clear error by the trial judge that made a difference to the outcome of the case. Clear error basically means that there was no possible way that the trial judge could or should have ruled or entered judgment the way he or she did. If there is any such error, then the case will be reversed. But if there is anything in the record, given the wide discretion allowed to the trial judge, that supports the decision, it will be affirmed even if the appellate judges disagree with the ruling. That's the whole point of the appellate system. I'm broadcasting live from Duval County, Florida, and this show is brought to you by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, Lending Lies, Amgar, and the Garfield Firm. And this show is especially brought to you because of donations to the Living Lies blog from listeners just like you. Thank you. And for those of you who are not contributors, we ask that you hit the donate button on the blog or call 954-451-1230 and pledge whatever you think you can afford. If this show is value for you, if I work on the blog, if I work on the show uh, has value for you, we do that without payment or other support, uh, then please chip in. Make a contribution to help us continue helping you and all consumers. Ten years ago, I had a conversation with one of the architects of the foreclosure scheme that resulted in millions of families losing their homes. I called him up only on the basis of one case. I pointed out facts to him. I told him what was rubbish, and I demanded to know who the creditor was. His answer was like a mantra, a prayer. We are the holder. He had no other answer. We are the holder. No matter what I said, we are the holder. In lawyer speak, he was telling me that as long as they could arguably assert that some party of their selection, any party, was a holder of the note, they would be able to invoke legal presumptions of fact, even if those facts were not true. And he was right, at least so far, in most cases. I think because most people don't know how to try cases. The courts are starting to turn on this issue, and we've seen decisions, and I published one from New York that's two, two years old, where this issue of presumptions and burden of proof was discussed thoroughly by a federal district court judge. Foreclosure defense essentially boils down to three major categories, procedural errors, lack of standing, and absence of an actual creditor. 
Procedural errors involve uh, improper notice, failure to attach the right things to the pleading, improper accounting, inconsistent documents, etc. As for no creditor and no party withstanding, it all depends upon the burden of proof decided by the judge. If he or she says the foreclosure must prove their case with facts and not presumptions, then you will probably win, or to put it more in practical terms, you will probably get an acceptable settlement uh, offer. If the judge says you must prove uh, lack of standing, if the judge says that you must prove lack of standing as a homeowner uh, or prove the absence of a creditor, uh, then you're going to have to file for discovery and hope that the judge won't sustain objections, which the judge won't if you word your discovery precisely enough and that the narrative of your defense is clear to the judge. But there is a middle ground that I've been writing about for 12 years, but the last few days I've been doing a lot more. It's all about legal presumptions regarding facially valid documents and self-authenticating signatures. These are all doctrines of presumptions. The New York case I wrote about yesterday explains it in some ways better than I do. The bottom line is that our system, in our system, any party who makes an assertion must prove it. If you want to say something to the court, you have to prove it. Now, you don't have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the document is fabricated. You just need to prove up to a credible point that the document might be fabricated and therefore should require proof in facts. If it's not challenged by pleadings or objections, then the fact is going to be true for purposes of the case at hand. So here's what I use when I teach lawyers about proof at trial. I call it red light, green light. If a witness testifies that the traffic light was green from his angle of perception, then it's fair to say that the traffic light pointing the other direction was red. In fact, it'll be presumed that the other side of the traffic light was red unless the party proffering a narrative that the light was not red can introduce credible but not necessarily dispositive evidence that the traffic light might have been malfunctioning. So let's break that down. First, you have undisputed evidence from a live witness saying that looking north, the traffic light was green. So for purposes of the case, that light was green. It's undisputed, and there's nobody saying otherwise. Second, you have a legal presumption that, or inference, that the green light means that a westbound car was presented with a red light, went through it, and killed the young pregnant mother or whatever. Negligence will be presumed and probably included in the jury instructions. 
if the westbound driver was paying attention, the accident would never have occurred. Case closed, end of story. But what if two witnesses facing east said the traffic light was blinking yellow and not red? And they noticed because they thought that the blinking yellow light was unusual. At that point, the presumption that the light was red fails. It doesn't prove that it was red. It doesn't prove that it wasn't red. But there's credible evidence to say that it might not have been red. Now the plaintiff must prove that the light was red, not by inference or presumptions, but by solid facts. Plaintiff is not entitled to the presumption or inference that the light was red because there is credible evidence now that the light might have been blinking yellow. That means he needs witnesses who saw the traffic light for the westbound car and who are certain that the light was indeed red. Or a witness from the city who says that he checked the traffic light before the accident and it was functioning normally. At least there is a question of fact for the jury, for the trier of fact, which is the judge in, in foreclosure trials. But in no event is the plaintiff entitled to have a jury instruction that says the light was red or that they should presume that it was red. In foreclosure defense, the green light is the facially valid documentation with self-authenticating signatures. The red light is the failure to pay uh, the party entitled to receive the payments. The blinking yellow light is in the inconsistencies that show or suggest that the documents may have been fabricated and the signatures may not have been genuine or uh, and may not have been authorized. You don't have to prove the case that the other side are crooks. Stop trying. You only have to prove that what they are saying in this case is based on presumption instead of actual facts and that there is a credible alternate explanation for the appearance of the documents and what is on them. Based upon 12 years of, ex uh, of experience with this issue, I have concluded with complete certainty that the named foreclosures are pretenders and that they have no right title or interest in the loans in almost all cases, but not all cases. More importantly, I have concluded that the lawyers for the foreclosures do not have witnesses or documents that can be corroborated or authenticated. In short, they have no facts. They come armed with only legal arguments about legal presumptions attempting to bootstrap commonplace presumptions into a prima facie case. Presumptions were never intended to be used that way. And that is exactly what will happen if you don't object and put on enough evidence to credibly suggest that it is an issue for the trier of fact to decide based upon the actual evidence rather than skipping the evidence and relying upon the legal presumption. This is uh, this broadcast you should probably listen to more than once if you really want to get it. So this leaves ownership of the debt in the winds. The fact that the court is not given the information necessary to conclude that the party who initiated the foreclosure 
is a creditor or isn't, and that as far as the case is concerned, no creditor stepped forward is not a problem for homeowners. It is a problem for the banks who want the courts to grant foreclosure to whoever claims it. That argument needs to be made. That argument is what will turn the head. So, I'm running out of time here. So, what I would say is that um, I do help lawyers and even pro se litigants prepare for hearings and trials. Um, you should consult with a real licensed attorney uh, develop an effective narrative and an effective defense. Thank you, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to our broadcast. We hope that you tell your friends about us and let them know that there is hope and help in this financial crisis. Tune in every week to The Neil Garfield Show for free information and advice and visit our blog daily at The Living Lies Blog. We provide support services, the latest strategies, analysis, expert consultations, testimony, and declarations to use in your battle against the largest economic crime in human history. For information concerning Neil, the team at Living Lies, or the law firm, go to www.livinglies.wordpress.com or call 520-405-1688. The opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the host and should not be attributed to any other person or entity.